Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Well, how many of you would raise your hand? Let's see. Let's actually do an experiment. How many of you love to live consistently with fear and anger? Raise your hand if you just love to be angry and afraid frequently. Okay, well, let's try this one then. How many of you love to live with peace and contentment, with happiness, joy, and confidence. Raise your hand if you'd love to live that way. Okay? Not too hard of a test, is it? Now let me ask you a follow-up question. Even though we don't normally like to live with, with fear or anger, is there ever a place or a time for fear and anger? And even though we do very much love to, to live with peace and contentment and joy and confidence, is there ever a time when maybe it's healthy for us to be backed off of our contentment and our happiness and our peace and our confidence just a little bit? Is there a time for that? I think most of us would answer yes to both of those questions. And really, that's what our message is about this morning is, how do we live in general with a, with a sense of, of peace and contentment and joy and confidence, and yet recognize those times when we need to experience and where it's healthy for us to experience fear and anger? How, how do we know what's right about that? And, and so what we're going to do today is we're going to dig into this, this final segment of our series, Paradox God. And in this series, we've been talking about how God is, is a God of seeming opposites. We talked about how on the first Sunday, he's a, he's a holy God who, uh, who is absolutely pure and righteous and hates sin and passionately desires justice. And on the other hand... He's a God who loves to show mercy and forgiveness and compassion. And how do you bring those two pieces of God's heart together? And what we discovered is it's that cross that does that. Because in his holiness and justice, God says, I'm going to punish every sin. And in his mercy, he says, I'm going to forgive every sin. And it's Christ dying on the cross that makes it possible for those to not be completely contradictory statements because every sin was punished in Christ and now every sin is forgiven in Christ. Last week we talked about a, a God who's at one and the same time distant and completely other than us. 
And at the same time, he's very near and always with us and one of us. And this week, we're going to talk about the concepts of grace and truth, how God communicates with us, how he talks to us, and how at times it might seem confusing if we don't understand what's going on. It might, once again, seem paradoxical and contradictory. We don't understand what God is trying to do. And that really comes back to the very first questions that I asked you about our hearts and what we like to feel in our hearts, what we need to feel in our hearts. You know, we live in a world that's uh, skeptical about God, don't we? A world that's asking a lot of questions about God, and frequently those questions are raised about God based on how God communicates to you and me. It seems a little mysterious to us at times. Where is God going to be? And sometimes it might even feel a little bit like, where is God going to be with me today? you be angry with me today? you be happy with me today? And you and I know that if we don't feel confident in a person, if we're, if we're unsure who's going to walk through the door, if you have a spouse who's like that, a child, a parent, and you're not sure whether the angry side or the kind side is walking through the door, that's a tough relationship to keep up with unless you deeply understand that person. And that's what we want to talk about this morning is deeply understanding why does God communicate with us in the way that he does. And that's so important when we're living in a world where there's a lot of skepticism, a lot of questions like how can there just be one true religion? How can a good God allow suffering? Isn't religion just a straitjacket or isn't it just a crutch? There are a lot of questions about God. And if we don't know how to read our Bible and understand how God is communicating to us, then we're going to struggle all the more with helping others to understand who God is and how much he loves them and how much he wants to forgive them and give them eternal life. What does it mean, for example, and these are the questions that we kind of want to answer about God's communication, where on the one hand, God says, be perfect, as perfect as I, the Lord your God, am perfect. And yet, in another place, he says, a man is justified in the sight of God apart from observing the law. What does it mean when he says, I love sinners in Romans chapter 5? And in Psalm 5, he says, I hate sinners. What does it mean when he says, every sinner is cursed to the Galatians? And to the Corinthians, he says, every sinner is forgiven. What does it mean When it says, be very afraid of God, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And yet he sends angels at Christmas to say, don't be afraid, fear not. For today in the town of Bethlehem, I bring you good news of great joy. How do we put all those kinds of statements together? That's exactly what we want to talk about this morning. And John the Apostle wrote this gospel because he wanted us to have a clear understanding of God's communication to us. He wanted us to have a clear picture of who God is and why God says the things that he does. And if you dig back into into what we just read, you see that God was doing something really intriguing 
and interesting and surprising. He went to great lengths to show us what's in his heart and why he speaks to us the way he does. Take a look at verse 14 again. It says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John's saying, Jesus came to tell us who God really is, to show us who God really is. And when it says there that he made his dwelling among us, literally that word means he pitched his tent among us. It's the word for setting up the tabernacle, the Old Testament place of worship. And the Old Testament tabernacle was that place where God met with his people. And it's also the place where his glory settled in the Old Testament when those children of Israel were wandering in the desert. It was the place where the people of Israel could really see God. And it tells us in Exodus 33 that Moses actually went to the tabernacle and met with God face to face, meeting with God as a, as a friend meets with a friend. So when it says that God made his tabernacle among us, it means God came down to settle among us, be with us, be one of us, so he could really show us who he is. There's a a great book about communication, and one of the key parts of communicating is to make things concrete. Now, I I could talk to you about vegetables, and get you to think, be thinking about peppers, all kinds of peppers, green peppers and yellow peppers and red peppers and cherry tomatoes and ranch dressing. Or I could show you a bowl of those. One would be an ideal, and you'd get a picture in your mind. And, um, and another would be a picture, and you can actually see those beautiful vegetables. Look at those carrots. Man, aren't those pretty? But I could also take it a step further. And I know a person who'd love to help me with this experiment. The guy that's always hungry just a little bit, aren't you, Tim? All right. There's even some ranch dressing in there for you, buddy, if you want to dip one in there. I could make this really concrete for you if I let you, um, if I let you actually have one or two of those vegetables. You pick the one you want. You want to dip it there in the, you want a little ranch dressing on that? How is that? Now, do you, you have a really great idea of, of cucumber right now, right? Because you can taste it. Uh, he says it's tasty. See how important concrete is? That's what Jesus did. Took the idea of God. A, a God who we couldn't see, the Bible tells us. No man has ever seen him. God had to hide Moses behind a rock to show himself to him so that he couldn't see him fully. But then God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to make God concrete, to really give us a grasp of of who God is and what's in his heart for us. Take a look at what Jesus says to Philip when Philip says, hey, can't, can't you show us the Father? We, we really need to understand who the Father is. And look at what Jesus' answer is to Philip. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? 
anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. The Father is in me, and when I act, Jesus says the Father is acting. When you see my heart, you're seeing the Father's heart. When you hear my words, you're hearing the the Father's words. When you see the miracles I do and the works and the acts that I do, you're seeing the Father's miracles and works and acts. Paul the Apostle wrote to the very same group of people that John was writing to in this gospel. When John wrote the Gospel of John, it was probably later in life. It was probably around 80, 85 AD. And very likely he was in the middle of being a pastor of a a number of congregations in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And those are congregations that had originally been set up by the Apostle Paul. And so these, these gentlemen were, were writing and communicating with the, with the very same people and realized that they were, they were used to seeing images of God. That's how people worshipped in that day. They made carved images of their gods and then they worshipped them. And Paul writes to the Colossians, one of those congregations that John was also writing to, And he says, here's why we don't need any carved images of God. Because we have a perfect image of God in Jesus Christ. A perfect representation of his heart. Look what it says. I put this in your crosswalk notes. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. We want to see who God is. If we want to see God's heart and understand God's words, we have to look to Jesus. And in fact, we don't need communication from anyone else, we're told in the book of Hebrews. Take a look at what I put down for you there. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Now look at what it says in verse three. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. See, Jesus came true God from heaven down to this earth and became true man, so that we could get our arms wrapped around God, so that we could see God and hear God and taste God and have a concrete example of what God is really about. And if we want to know why God is speaking the way he's speaking, if we want to understand these apparent paradoxes, the very first thing we have to believe, the very first thing we have to know is Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God's being. And when we look at him, we are seeing true God and we are peeking right into God's heart. That's the first thing I want us to to understand. The word became flesh, John tells us, and made his dwelling among us. When we see Jesus, we see God. So here's our first point. Jesus reveals to us 
who God really is. Now, as we're trying to investigate why he communicates to us the way he does, we have to first find out where, where are we going to figure this out from? And there's no better place to figure it out from than from looking at who Jesus is because he is the true son of God. I mentioned at the outset of this message that there's a lot of concern and skepticism about Christianity in today's world. There's a lot of doubt about, can this really be real? And and, and is what Christianity teaches, is what the Bible teaches solid? How could there be just one true faith? Asked a student named Blair, a 24-year-old woman living in a very large metro area of our country. She went on to say, it's arrogant to say that your religion is superior and to try to convert everyone else to it. Surely all religions are equally good and valid for meeting the needs of their particular followers. That's what she believes. And she is not alone. There are many of us in our country today, many of us in our world today, who would share her sentiments Another young man, a a 20-something British man, also living here in the States in a big city, says this, religious exclusivity is not just narrow, it's dangerous, he thinks. Religion has led to untold strife, division, and conflict. It may be the greatest enemy of peace in our world today. If Christians continue to insist that they have the truth, and if they're... And if other religions do this as well, the world will never know peace. Our claim, the claim of the Bible to exclusivity is often listed by people in our culture today as the number one thing that troubles them about being a Christ follower. So how do we address that? How does God address that? Is it possible for us to back off of that? And say, well, maybe there are many paths. One God, but many different pathways. Could we ease it up a little bit and not claim such exclusivity? Well, let's take a look at what Jesus says. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, think about that claim. Think about the claim that we made earlier, that Jesus is God. Think about the claim that Jesus made when he said, when you see me, you see the Father. When you see my actions, my words, when you you hear my heart, you're seeing God's heart. You know what that makes Jesus? Only two things are possible. Either true God or a complete madman because he makes these claims over and over and over again. And so really it's presented to us in only one way. It's either we think he's a crazy madman or we accept his claim to exclusivity that he is the one way, the one truth and the one life. Notice what he goes on to say. No one, comes to the Father except through me. 
If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him because you know me, he says. And you have seen him. Now, I I pointed out a minute ago that John, the apostle writing this gospel, and Paul, the apostle, were pastoring the same congregations some years apart, but they were still writing to to the same people. And I want you to see what Paul writes to these people in Colossae in chapter 2. He says, since you died with Christ, you became a believer. And through faith, Jesus' death is now your death. His punishment for sins you've paid because of Christ. You've died with him. And now because you've died with him, you've died to what he calls the basic principles of this world. Why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Paul asked the Colossians. Rules like, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use. Would you underline that phrase? These are all destined to perish with use. Because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Paul's saying we can live according to the basic principles of the world. And what does he talk about there? He's talking about being obedient He's talking about following the rules. Don't taste, don't touch. And there are many of us, even sometimes some of us Christians, who believe that if I'm just good enough, if I just follow the rules, if I follow these basic principles, if I love my neighbor, if I do unto others as as I would want them to do unto me, that I can step up to where God wants me to be. If I practice certain esoteric worship practices, there are all kinds of ways that people try to get back to God, get back into relationship with God. And look at, look at what he says. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Now contrast that with what John says in in, uh, John chapter 1. He says, the word became flesh. Isn't it interesting that he uses that phrase for Jesus, the word? And I'll tell you why it's really interesting. Because according to Greek philosophers, and remember, John is writing into a Greek Uh, formed culture in Asia Minor, according to everything that they would have learned in school about this word, word, which is in the Greek logos, that was the true basic principle of the word, world, logos. It's an ordering principle for the universe. And it is a divine logic that, that fits everything together perfectly. That's all contained in this word, Logos, divine logic, ordering principle, it's what causes everything to hang together. And John is saying that divine principle, that, that 
that idea that causes everything to hang together is embodied and made concrete in Jesus Christ. So here's what we have. We have on the one hand from Paul, basic principles of the world, human laws, commands, and regulations, and we have the logos, Jesus Christ. And it's, it's really, it's really John is saying to us to say, which way are we going to go? You, you've been taught that Jesus is the one, the way, the truth, the life. He's the way to the Father. And that it's simply through faith, through doing nothing, but resting in Christ and accepting the free gift of his salvation by simply trusting that when he died on the cross, he died for you. And that that death paid for your sins was a perfect sacrifice. You've been taught that when he rose from the grave, that was just the first fruits, that he's just the beginning. All the rest of us who trust in him and who believe in him are also going to rise from our graves to eternal life as God's gift to us. There's the gift, and there's the, I got to earn it for myself by following the rules. That's really what it boils down to. And, and let me tell you why Paul and John had to hit this so hard in, in their day, because I think it's the same in our day. Do you know what most pagan worship was built around in John and Paul's day? Two things, fear and pleasure. Fear and pleasure. And so what, what the, the, the temples and the priests would do would be to feed on the fears of the people. When the Roman Empire fell, it was because people weren't worshiping the gods enough. One of the greatest gods was the emperor himself. And if you didn't worship him, you would have his priest down on you. And they fed on people's fears constantly. And then there was pleasure. Because part of the worship in the temples were these huge feasts. Bacchanalian feasts. I mean, these were party feasts. And part of the worship in those temple, a major part of the worship in the temple was the temple prostitutes. That was that day. Fear and pleasure. And what do we have today? Fear and pleasure. What are we fed every evening at 5, 5.30, 6 on the evening news? All the bad news of the day. All the reasons we need to be afraid in life. Tragic stories, truly tragic stories. What do we hear when the, when the opinion people come on CNN or Fox? Why we need to be afraid. Why, why we need to worry. And then when the news isn't on, what, what do we get? We get plenty of pleasure, right? In the music, in the TV shows. It's all about that. Our idols today are not so very different at all from the idols of Paul's day and John's day. And, and what they're saying to us is we can order our lives according to those basic principles of fear and pleasure, of trying to get back to God by being obedient, or we can organize our lives according to the basic, the true basic principle and organizing power of the universe, the Logos, Jesus Christ, the Word. 
And, and look at what Paul says once again when he talks to those Colossians. Why, as though you still belonged to it, to these basic principles of this world, do you submit to its rules, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. And he admits, such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. They're really not valuable to us at all. And contrast that with what it says in John. Verse 16, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. When we trust and rest in the logos, the word, in Jesus Christ, we're setting ourselves up for one blessing after another. Literally, in the Greek, what that says is grace in place of grace. It's, it's almost a, a moving picture. It's like God gives you grace, undeserved love in his son, Jesus Christ. And it's, it is saying literally, when that goes away and that, that grace is gone, what comes into its place? More grace. And when that grace goes away, what comes next? More grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. Love that you haven't earned and I haven't learned. When we follow Jesus Christ, we just get love, 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 love. Now that's amazing to think that your God loves you that much. That he would only replace love with more love. What an awesome promise to us. So here's our second point for us this morning. Jesus gives you not what is going away, not what is fading, but what is solid and real. When he speaks his truth, you can bank your life on that truth. When he, when he speaks his laws, when he says things like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, we call that the great commandment. It truly is the great commandment. It's something to organize your life around. It's something to measure your life by. It's something to look in the mirror with and go, am I doing this? And then when God says, I love you so much, I sent my son for you. I love you so much that, that he died for you to absorb your sin, your punishment, your guilt, your shame, to absorb it all into himself. You can trust that that love is yours. It's real. It's solid. Because he says, when that grace is done and it moves to the side, more grace is just coming right in its place. Grace upon grace. So let's return to that original question. Who likes to be angry and afraid? Who likes to be at peace, confident, live with joy? I think we all love to have that and don't don't we feel at peace and confident don't we know that we can live with joy when we hear that promise that grace is only going to replace grace i know i do when i see jesus hanging on the cross absorbing my sins when i see john the baptist saying look there's the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world 
Well, I know I'm part of the world. And I know my sins are hanging there on Jesus being absorbed by him. When Jesus Christ is raised from the grave, I know that's God's solid promise to me that one day I'm going to rise from my grave in Christ and live forever with God. That's solid and it's real. And I can be confident and joyful in that. And so it's so important for us to all to be brought to that same level of confidence. And yet, is there a time for fear? Is there a time for anger? While we want to live our life based on joy, on forgiveness, on God's grace, Paul also says this, if you think you're standing firm, be careful because you might fall. We live with a base of confidence because that confidence is not built on us. It's built on Jesus Christ. But our hearts, and I think you know this, our hearts are like a bobbing boat. One day I wake up and I feel so confident in God. So amazed at his grace, so sure that he's only going to give me grace upon grace upon grace. And I am just absolutely certain of that. And then the next day I wake up and I go, God, where did you go? Why are you allowing this to happen in my life? And my heart gets shaken to its very roots. Remember Peter? Well, that happened to him within the space of five minutes. He says, Jesus, let me, let me go walk on the water with you. And he gets out there on the water and he's focused on Jesus. And he's skimming across the water. And then he sees the wind and the waves and he begins to sink. Because his heart is bobbing around just like he's bobbing around on that lake. And your heart and my heart bob around too. You know what they do in the shipping industry to make sure that ships don't bob around on rough seas? They have something called ballast. And ballast usually is just water. They, they suck water in from the ocean and it, they have tanks inside the boat and it fills up. And that ballast steadies the boat. So that if it's rough seas, it still kind of settles in and it stays steady. And if they need to travel a little bit faster, they can release some of the ballast if the, the, the sea is calm and move faster. You know what your ballast is? My ballast? It's two concepts called grace and truth. And, it, and it's why it's so important that John says that Jesus is full of grace and full of truth. Remember what you thought just a few moments ago? Is there a time for me to be angry and afraid? Yep. And is there, is there a time for me to back off from my confidence and my joy? Yep. Well, when our hearts are filled with certainty based on ourselves based on our strength, our wisdom, based on me. When we begin to think that we're all that, that I'm number one, that's when we need that truth, isn't it? 
That's when we need a little bit of fear. That's when we need to hear a little bit about God's anger and learn that it's not all about me. And learn that I cannot bring about my own success in the eyes of God. There is no way. And so God created this thing called truth to get us to take an honest look at ourselves during those times when pride and selfishness threaten to take over our hearts. And when our hearts are bobbing over there and we're, we're full of ourselves, God comes and he says, look, take an honest look at yourself here. Are you really following what I ask you to follow in my word? And he puts his law in front of us. We talk about truth. We're really talking about God's law, those commandments. We're talking about evaluating our lives based on that being honest and transparent with ourselves. That ballast is very important. Otherwise, our hearts are going to bob and we're going to, we're going to be so full of ourselves. But there are other times where our hearts bob over here. And instead of being full of ourselves, we feel empty and ashamed and depressed and sad and lonely. And for times like that, we need grace. That's the other part of God's ballast for us. When we're down and out, when we think no one loves us, when we're so ashamed of the way that we've behaved, that we, we find it difficult to even go out our door and face anyone thinking maybe they know. When life is just throwing one arrow at us after another, and it's hard just to get the covers off and put your two feet on the floor, you need to know that you have a God who loved you in Jesus Christ. You need to remember, we all at those times need to remember, our hearts need to have that message of God's faithful love. That's what grace is. It's a love that never ends. It's a grace upon grace kind of thing. So grace and truth, they are completely the ballast for our wavering hearts, and so important. Truth for times when we're full of ourselves, grace for times when we're completely running on empty. And that's the beauty of this. And I want to show you how this works. Take a look at um, what it says in John eighteen thirty seven. In fact, for this reason I was born, Jesus says, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. It starts with us being willing to listen to Jesus when he tells us the truth about ourselves. It starts with us listening to Jesus when he tells us the truth about his law, his commandments, when he tells us the truth about his grace and forgiveness and mercy the grace, forgiveness, and mercy that he won for us. Look at what Peter wrote. I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Underline that phrase, stand fast in it. We have to every day stand fast in God's faithful love for us. Now, do you know how this can work for you? It's just so practical. Because knowing with complete assurance that you have God's forgiveness, 
being able to look at his truth and love at the same time. It's sort of like walking through life and you have one of those balance poles. And sometimes life can knock us off balance, but, but we have this balance pole post. And over here is grace and over here is truth. And Jesus was full of both. He walked through life always speaking the truth, but always being loving and kind. And that's what he calls us to do. And I have a beautiful example for this, written by the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. He writes a letter to these same congregations. He's writing to a lady, and he he tells her, look, live your life based on grace and truth. The elder to the chosen lady and her children whom I love in truth. And not I only, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth, which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. Do you notice how he keeps coming back to those concepts of truth and love? Truth and grace? And he links it to the grace, mercy, and peace that we get from God. In verse 4, he goes on, It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Walk in truth, he says. Walk in love. And where do those come from? John wrote in that first chapter, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. When you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're given that balance pull. And you become confident that what Jesus says really is true. And you become confident by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus really is the greatest sign of love and grace that you could ever receive. And you respond, I respond by saying, let me use that balance pole in my life and see what happens. What if I make that the organizing principle of my life? What if I make it my commitment that wherever I go in life, I'm going to be always truthful and always gracious and loving? And I walk my life that way, with that balance pole. What an amazing life that makes. We talk about the adventure of life with Jesus. That's it. Walking your life in grace and truth. And that's exactly what we need to succeed in life, in God's ways, in God's eyes. That's success the way he wants it. That's our third point. Jesus Jesus uniquely communicates to us exactly what we need to succeed. That's his grace and his truth. So if someone asks you, why does God sometimes seem to talk such contradictory terms? I hope you know the answer. Because it's perfect for your heart. When we need to hear the truth and be confronted over our sins, Jesus is there with the truth. When our hearts bob in this direction, he's going to come with it. He's not going to hold back. When our hearts are over here and we're down, we're on our knees, we are shocked and we are rocked, 
Jesus is going to come with his grace and his mercy. He's going to say, come on, let me, let me lift you up. Isn't it awesome to know that you have a God that is full of grace and full of truth and will give you exactly what your heart needs? And that's what this walk with Jesus is all about. Man, God says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And what what needs to be organized by God's organizing principle, his logos before anything else in life is right here. Your heart and my heart. And that's why full of grace and full of truth, there's nothing like it. We need it. And God gives it to us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus for me. And because of, because of his willingness to absorb my sins, I, I walk away today knowing absolutely beyond any shadow of a doubt that my sins are forgiven. Thank you for that. Lord, always be truthful with me. And, and when my heart bobs over to the side of pride and overconfidence and it's all about me, Lord, hold that mirror of your truth and your law up to me. Help me realize once again how much I need Jesus and how much it's not about me. And Lord, when I'm down, when I'm on my knees, when I'm knocked silly and knocked flat, help me see your grace and your grace that replaces that grace. And help me know that you want to bless me with one blessing right after another in your son, Jesus. Help me know the forgiveness that he has for me and the love. Lord, as we, as we wrap up this series, I ask that um, you would put it on my heart and mind to find somebody else that, that doesn't know about this grace and truth. And, and to share this with them, to share your heart with them. And invite them to come to church to guide them to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior by your power, Lord. And all these things we lift up to you in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.